The gospel lesson this morning comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 12 to 23. <clears throat> now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent! For the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, again we come before you seeking after that most precious gift that you've offered to us, which is inspiration from your Holy Spirit. Lord God, not one of us knows all there is to know. In fact, we we come together still searching, and yet you have given us enough to give us hope and joy in our lives. Lord God, I ask for a prayer for myself, as I always do. Uh, I do not come up here with any pretense to goodness. I do not know why sometimes you've chosen me to bear witness to your word, but you have seen fit to do this. And so I ask now that you use me as your vessel and feed your children through the words that you give to me. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wasn't kidding when I said it's, it's nice to be back up here. It's nice to be back here in this church. Susie and I uh, actually came to become members of this church. Of course, Susie's a member. I'm in it here. I'm a member of the Reformed Church. And being an ordained minister in the Reformed Church, I can't actually join without leaving my, my ordination. So I still consider myself a member anyway. And uh, we realize that this is the best decision that we ever made. Uh, It's an interesting set of circumstances that led us here, as a matter of fact, because originally uh, we were going to uh, worship at the Methodist Church on the west side of town. That's where we live, over on the west side. And that's only about two minutes from from where we live. So uh, we decided, since we had come through town uh, the previous summer looking for a house and had had breakfast at the farm, that we would have our first Sunday breakfast at the farm. Little did we know that the farm doesn't open until 9 o'clock. 
So by the time we were finished with our breakfast, we uh, realized that we were never going to be able to get back across town again uh, in time for the worship service. So we quick got a newspaper and uh, looked in the paper, and lo and behold, we saw that there was a Presbyterian church only about two blocks away. Susie grew up Presbyterian, and as I said, I'm Reformed, so that uh, that's part of a, a sister congregation. A, uh, we have the, basically the same roots. And we never regretted the decision. As soon as we came through the door, we were greeted with friendly, smiling faces. And uh, the first person I remember coming up to us uh, was Judy Holy. And uh, having her just put her hand out and welcome us and and so many other people. And then it wasn't a couple of weeks later that the Brantleys invited us out to, to lunch at the Irish Lion. And we, fought, we thought, wow, we, we had really made the right decision in coming here. Um, the friendliness is something that has lifted our hearts for going on nine years. And over the, the time that we've been coming here, we've thought about all the blessings that that the First Presbyterian Church of Bloomington has, and, and they are many. Uh, you have a loving, faithful pastor who preaches excellent sermons. You have a absolutely great music program, a wonderful choir. It's one of the reasons why there seems to be so many more people out there today is because the choir is sitting out there as opposed to up here, but uh, the, the choir is outstanding. The, the bell choir is outstanding. You have a, a great music director, uh, a, a, a peerless organist, and uh, many different um, guest uh, artists that come in and perform on Sunday morning. Um, you have guitar players and violin, violinists and, and people who play the cello and uh, so many other uh, instruments. But I've never seen an instrument, somebody play the instrument that I played in high school. And I've often wondered why that is. I played the tuba. (laughs) All right. All right. But don't ask me to do it. I haven't played since college, so... But it, it is always wonderful, and there's always something new and exciting that takes place uh, in this church. I look around, I, like, I love this vantage point. I don't get a chance to see the church from this vantage point very often, but of course we've got the wonderful stained glass windows, and we've got the beautiful woodwork, and uh, it really is just a, quite a remarkable place to come worship. And with all of that in mind, it kind of raises a question in my mind, Why are we not packed? Why are we not standing room only? Now, this is a nice turnout today, but the fact of the matter is we know there's plenty more room. Even if we combined the uh, 9 o'clock service with the 11 o'clock service, we know there would still be plenty plenty of room for more people. So uh, what is it that we need to be doing if indeed we want to add to our numbers Well, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, the gospel lesson this morning actually does help us to answer that question. Jesus sets an example for us to follow. And uh, it might not come 
immediately clear, but hopefully my sermon will make it so. Um, we are called upon to follow a process. First, let's take a look at what our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did. The first thing he did was establish his credibility. The, the, verse lesson, the verses of this morning take place after our Lord has been baptized by John the Baptist. We heard this two weeks ago. The sky has opened up. The Holy Spirit has descended and, and alighted on him in the form of a dove and a voice from heaven has said, this is my son, my beloved. And then after that, immediately we might know that our Lord Jesus was led into the wilderness where he fasted for 40 days and was tempted by the devil. And that, of course, signaled to the season that we know as Lent, which we'll be not celebrating, but observing in about a month. So our Lord Jesus, again, is establishing credibility. When he comes back from his temptation in the wilderness, he finds out that Perhaps at that point, his only ally, his cousin John, has been seized and thrown into jail. So it says, Scripture says that our Lord Jesus then withdrew purposely into the the region of Galilee, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, in order to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah. So it was intentional what our Lord was doing. He was telling the world what he tells, what he continues to tell us, and that is the fact that he is indeed the Messiah. Some of us might remember this, is, this goes all the way through his ministry. One of the best known examples is, or, or took place uh, on Palm Sunday when uh, he sent his disciples into the village opposite to uh, get a, a, a foal, a colt, and to bring it to him. And if they're questioned why they're taking it, They need only say the Lord has need of it. This was to fulfill the prophecy that the king, the Messiah, would ride into Jerusalem on the back of the foal of a donkey. So, again, credibility is an important thing. And that's not something that the First Presbyterian Church of Bloomington has any problem with. This is a church that has a load of credibility when it comes to serving God. Your mission program is outstanding. I've already identified the, the, the wonderful blessings that we see, that we experience almost every, every week. I know you send a, a group to Pulsotega every year, and you send a group to West Virginia every year, and, and the giving is just wonderful. So credibility is not an issue. That's not what we need to worry about. This church has got it in spades. Our Lord Jesus continues by preaching an uncompromising message. So again, think in terms of the example that he's setting for us. And that uncompromising message begins with one word which we've all heard over and over again, and most of us certainly know what it means. The word is and was repent. Repent. And as most of us know, repent means simply to turn around, turn back, turn away, or just turn. Turn away from the things of this world, the self-defeating habits that we might have, the, 
the uh, misleading um, temptations, whatever they might be, the things that bring us down. Turn away from those things and turn back to God. That's the message that Jesus proclaims and expects us to proclaim as well. He follows this up with words that are just as revealing. He says, For the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, why is this important? Well, I dare say, brothers and sisters, family and friends, that the most common theology that we're going to find in our community, and it probably exists to an extent in our own church, is a theology that we have learned perhaps way back in history class as deism, which is the fact that we have a God who's way up there looking down on us, a God who created everything that we know as reality and kind of just set, set it all in motion and then backed away what is known as the clockwork God. Um, some of us might know that our founding fathers, at least three of our great founding fathers, were self-professed deists. George Washington, Ben Franklin, and Thomas Jefferson were all, were all deists. So this is, as I said, a common theology for people to have. People believe that God is out there somewhere, but God is not here. Reminds me of that song by Bette Midler. We all know it, right? From a distance, God is watching us from a distance. Well, Jesus does not allow for that interpretation of Holy Scripture. Jesus, or God, is not at a distance. God is here. God has come close. Another interpretation of the, of the scripture lesson is God is at hand, meaning within our grasp, right next to us. The angel came to Mary and said that he, she would name her son Emmanuel, meaning God with us. So let us remember, credibility means that people are told God is here in our midst. God is accessible. Our Lord Jesus also said that, it, that the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now that's not a, that's not a light, lightly used word, the kingdom of heaven. We, in other places we hear the kingdom of God. In this case we hear the kingdom of heaven. Heaven is a wonderful image was a wonderful image to the people at that time and is a wonderful image to us as well. Our Lord Jesus compares heaven to paradise while he's hanging on the cross. Heaven is a place of reunion. Heaven is a place where we're going to get back together with the people we love who have gone on before us. Heaven is a place where we're going to get new bodies that never get sick and never grow old. And I know that means a lot to quite a few of us, myself especially. So, that's the next important thing that our Lord Jesus establishes. Credibility. The kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom of heaven is right here. And again, this is not something that this church needs to worry about. So the question then is, how do we add to our numbers, because that really is the primary responsibility that we have. Our job is to go out and bear witness to the word and try to bring people into our fellowship. How do we do that? And our Lord teaches us how we do it 
through the next example that we see in Holy Scripture this morning. He goes out and he starts to recruit his followers. He recruits disciples. He knows that even the Messiah can't do it all by himself. So first he goes to Peter and and Andrew, and then he goes to James and John, and lo and behold, they happen to be fishermen. Fishermen. Our Lord tells them, follow me, and I'll make you fish for people. Now we're starting to get into the territory that the Lord wants us to pay special attention to. Fishing for people. Of course, we, most of us, when we grew up, at least when I grew up, we remember the term, we are here, God sends us out, and, I, and sends us out to fish for men, be fishers of men. But now it's all inclusive, and fortunately, I think that's a good change. We are called upon to get the word out there. How do we do that? And that's when our Lord gives us a clue with the term fishers of men. Any fishermen here? Any fisher people? Any people who like to go fishing? Anybody? Yeah, it's really hard to get people. Did I see a hand back there? Thank heaven. Oh, there's a hand back there, ladies and gentlemen. I, uh, I've, I've only gone fishing a couple of times. But uh, one of the things that I learned that, that the Jesus teaches us through this analogy is that, number one, it seems ridiculously obvious, but it's something that, need, that bears a mentioning. We need to go where the fish are. We need to go where the fish are. I once taught, did a children's sermon where I, I took a stick and I tied a string to the end of the stick and then I bent a, 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 a paper clip and tied the paper clip to the uh, end of the string and I said, let's all go fishing. And then I turned around and I just stood there and I held this, held this stick. And I said, well, there's, there is no fish here. What's going on? And the kids all knew what the right answer was. They said, you've got to go where the fish are. Susie and I came here from New Jersey. We used to go out in the party boats. And one of the things that we noticed when uh, the party boats went out is that eventually all of the fishing vessels ended up in the same general vicinity because the bigger boats had sonar, and the sonar could identify where the fish were. So everybody went there and hopefully got a catch. Well, the question for us is, who are the fish? Where are the fish for us? Where do we go? And I think, obviously, the first, que- the, the first place is our families. We have people in our families who need to hear the word of God, who we, we've been perhaps a little disappointed in the fact that they're not making the commitment that we would want them to. And certainly we have friends who are uh, perhaps a little bit disdainful of the faith that, we, have, that we, we profess. But the meaning is clear regardless. We are to go out. And if we want to be ambitious, we are called upon to go out to those people who really need to hear the word of God, the outcasts, the ones who are hurting, the ones who feel like nobody loves them. Those are, the, those are the fish that are most likely to bite. The second thing is, 
We need to have the right equipment. It's pointless to go fishing if you don't have a rod, a line, and, 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 a, and a hook. What is the right equipment for us? Well, today I say to you, brothers and sisters, the right equipment for us is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is absolutely essential that we, as members of the church, know the gospel. Not just to be preached to, but to be prepared to preach to others. And I would say that it's important for us to read the gospel of Jesus Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as often as once a month, maybe even more often if we're moved to do so. Because we need to be prepared for the questions that are going to come our way. People who are skeptical, people who, who perhaps are even ridiculing of, of religion in general. We need to have the knowledge to answer them, to give them the good news. And the only way to do that is to learn it. And there's no, no easy secondary uh, um, strategy besides that. That's our tool, knowing the gospel. The third thing is we need to use the proper bait. Different fish like different bait. All of this, again, sounds perfectly logical and and perhaps not terribly original, but uh, it's the truth. What is the bait that we use in order to attract people to our church? Certainly, there are a lot of churches out there that use the wrong bait, at least according to my sensibility, to my way of thinking, where people try to bring people into their church through fear tactics and the threat of judgment and exclusion. The proper bait that we use, brothers and sisters, is proper words and deeds. Kindness. Open-mindedness. Empathy. Hope. Encouragement. Sometimes admonition. If we see somebody who's in a situation where they're, they're heading into dangerous territory, we need to perhaps admonish them that they need to take a look at what it is that they're doing and where they're going. Acceptance, all of these things, the best things about the human experience are the things that we should be using as bait when we reach out into the community. And I added one in capital letters. I mentioned the first service as well. Capital letters, Three letters. Fun. We need to set an example on how to have good, clean fun. There's an awful lot of people, a lot of uh, fun out there that is not good and clean. is is not uh, uh, not healthy. It's it is self defeating. And what we need to do as a, as a Christian church is to set an example of how to have fun. Some of the things I've seen over the years, I'm not saying we need to do them here, but one of the things that uh, I remember doing is taking a bus trip to a Major League Baseball game. Of course, there aren't any Major League teams too close to here. And besides the fact we have IU and the Big Ten, so we don't really need to to go out any place in order to to see big-time sports. We used to go to concerts, but of course, this is one of the most gifted communities that I've ever seen when it comes to, to when it comes to musical talent. So those things are pretty much taken care of. I would add maybe having some parties, 
dare I say, and I got some cross-eyed looks when I said this, how about a square dance? I'm not sure. I would t- well, I wouldn't be able to take place. I'm not sure I would if I, if I could. But uh, anyway, you know where I'm coming from. Setting an example and making it so that people want to be part of us. And that includes having fun. The fourth and final example in this analogy that I think is appropriate, and, and indeed there's, there's more than this, but uh, after this particular example, then we get into skinning and boning and cooking and eating, and something tells me that that's not what our Lord Jesus meant when he said, go you know, fish for people. I got a bigger laugh at 9 o'clock. But we are called upon, brothers and sisters, to show patience. Patience. God's timetable is different from our timetable. We, being mortal human beings with a limited amount of time, we want things to happen right away. We want our loved one to grasp what we believe, what we know to be true. We want their their lives to be improved, that we want them to be saved, we want them to rejoice in life, even though sometimes it's difficult for us, we know that we can always repent, come back to God, and know that everything is going to be taken care of. We want others to know that, but it doesn't happen right away, and that's very frustrating. But patience is essential to bearing witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Several decades ago, I, was, I participated in the Billy Graham School for Evangelism. That always preceded the Billy Graham Crusade, which was being held, if I remember correctly, in Philadelphia. And I really wanted to see Billy Graham. He was one of, those, one of the evangelists that I always respected. Unfortunately, he took sick and was not able to do the crusade. But I did go to the School for Evangelism, and when... I came away from that. The thing that I never forgot was this critical teaching. Whenever we saw at the end of the Billy Graham crusade that altar call, when Billy Graham would call the people to come forward and people would come down by the hundreds sometimes while the choir sang just as I am without what one plea, the people who taught in the school of evangelism said that that's, that's just one touch. They said there needs to be at least ten touches, and they called it the law of the ten touches, that people generally need to be touched at least ten times with the gospel before they actually embrace it, before a change actually starts to take place in their lives. And again, I repeat that the, the, uh, the crusade was very specific in saying that Billy Graham's message was just one step. And all of the steps that went before it, all nine and sometimes more than that, all of those were every bit as important as the step that Billy Graham brought to his crusade. That means that we can bear witness to the word of God and, and see nothing happen. But in fact, we have been one of the touches And at some point when that person does turn around and does hear the word of God and is changed and uh, and does find the joy that we have found, we know even though it didn't happen in our presence, we can take 
some credit for that. When it comes to patience, I'm always reminded of this story. Sixty years ago, I was at Camp Sakawawan, Boy Scout camp. It was my last day, and there were four of us, four boys sitting on, a, on, a, on the dock, and we all had fish lines in the water. Camp Sakawawan is not called Sakawawan anymore. I guess the people who own the land thought that was kind of too weird a name, so they renamed it Camp Kitatini. And so there we were with our, our lines in, in Lake Kittatinny, and three of us were sitting there, and every couple of minutes we'd pull the line out and wonder, well, there's, there's no fish there. We'd already, you know, put the, the worm on the hook, and, and nothing was happening. In the meantime, right next to us was this little blind boy, and he was chatting right along with the rest of us, but he never moved. He just sat there and just kept his kept his uh, rod and, and line in the, uh, in the lake. And he was pulling out one fish after another. And I got to tell you, and, and, and I never forgot it, that's why I'm telling you the story now, I can't tell you how frustrating that was to be sitting there and watch that little boy pulling out one fish after another. And we weren't getting one, not even a nibble. But he told us, he'd set an example, that that's the way it works. We just keep the line in, keep on keeping on, and God will answer us in God's good time. For those who are still unsure or struggling with their faith, I promise you a moment of revelation will come. In my case, it came several times and I let it go. I wasn't ready. There was too much in this world I wanted to experience. And I think I speak for many when I say most of, that, most of that experience turned out to be useless, self-defeating, self-deluding. And, well, I paid the price for it. Finally, Jesus came to me again, and maybe it was one of those ten touches. I grabbed a hold of it. And I did it as the disciples did this time. The gospel says when the Lord came to them, they dropped everything and followed immediately. This word was so important in the gospel that it was repeated. They left everything and they followed immediately. The inspiration does not linger indefinitely, brothers and sisters. Our minds and hearts drift off to other things that tend to be useless and self-defeating. When Jesus comes calling, let's remember to pay heed to his words and follow his advice, believers and searchers alike. If we do, we'll not only grow our church, but we'll grow as people. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, thank you again for reminding us that you have not called us to raise the dead or to feed 5,000 people or to walk on water. All you have called us to do is to love our neighbor 
all you have called us to do is to be kind and to see the many opportunities that present themselves each and every day to bear witness to your word, to expand your kingdom. Help us, give us the eyes, Lord God, and help us to remember that you love us unconditionally, that we have nothing to fear, and that good things will happen every time we turn around and come back to you and do what our Lord Jesus commands us. It is in his wonderful name that we pray. Amen.